What's his name? Amen. Amen. Well, guys, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs tonight, so we want to invite you to be there with us. You can open up in the Bible to the book of Proverbs, or as we've been saying over the last weeks, we have provided for you little Bible booklets. And again, if you're interested in using one of these, these were available at the door. If you need to go back and get them, you can get them. Uh, very simply, we put the whole text of the, of the chapter of Proverbs in this. We're doing this only for the book of Proverbs, in part because of just the challenge of teaching verse by verse through the book of Proverbs, and we want you to be able to follow along with us. Again, you don't have to. If you want to use a Bible, you can use that, follow along, but if you want these, these are available. If you're joining us online, we want to make sure you are included as well. And so if you want to get one of the booklets electronically, you can go to our website, you can go under the messages, go to the download section, and you will find a booklet. Now, here's kind of the challenge. We are working our way verse by verse through Proverbs, so we made our way almost to the end of 11 last week, so we're going to hopefully finish, or two weeks ago, hopefully we'll finish 11, get into 12, so you would need both of them. If you haven't downloaded both, go to the previous week and you'll download number 11, go to this next week and you can download 12, and we'd invite you to do that. One of the things we've been kind of encouraging, one of the reasons we're using the booklets is because we want you to be able to mark them up, like more than you would your, your Bible. And so, again, you don't have to use uh, my template, my, you know, kind of legend here, but this is where I'm going to go. I'll use it on the screen so you can track with me. What we want to do is to try to track the Proverbs and see the, the, the focus. So we're going to, you know, take with a green circle and we'll kind of circle the, the thing that is good. And then a green line will be what happens out of that good thing. The red will be the bad kind of focus and, and the line will be just that which flows out of it. We'll use the little blue to kind of connect the, the, the connecting words that would be a part of it, connecting or contrasting. And then purple and kind of a different shape there for just things that tell us about God's character. Most of Proverbs isn't that. It's not a book that is primarily focusing on that, but there's definitely nuggets there uh, to be found and worth making sure that you see it. So that's the, the system I'm going to follow, but you can do whatever you, however it works. The idea is that you would just be able to track. You would just be able to kind of use that, follow along, be a part of, of, of things there, however it would work in you, and we long that it would be so. So with that in mind, let's take a moment right now and, and just ask that God would meet us. I'm going to lead you in prayer, but I hope you would pray as well. Ask God to give you something tonight that it would be yours, your truth, the thing that you needed to hear tonight from him, that the Holy Spirit would open it up to you. So let's ask him. Father, here we are, and just glad to be able to come before you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that is powerful. Thank you for your word that is just that which speaks life into us, that draws us, that is a light to our path as you tell us. Would you make it so tonight? Would you help us to understand? Would you cause your truth just to illuminate things in our world, things in our life that we needed to get? And then I'm just asking, Lord, that you would do what only you can do. Make this really personal so that every person hears from you. And that'll be different. That'll be different around the room. That'll be different sections in the book of Proverbs. But Lord, you're capable of doing far more. I pray that tonight you would give us ears to hear you. And that by the power of your spirit, you would speak to us things that you have. God, I ask for that. I ask for it for each person here, but I ask it for me. I just want to hear your voice. Asking for it even right now as we seek you to this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Proverbs chapter 11 is where we join. I'd like you to imagine that I could look upon 
how you've lived today. And if I were talking to you right now and I could just look at you and say, boy, that was a really good decision. I mean, I don't know if you can kind of just track with me for a moment, but there is a sense that we so often look for that. We live our lives making decisions every day in, in ways that we navigate it. Some of the decisions, biblically, they should be easy. They should be the kind of thing like there's black and there's white. Like this is good and this is wrong. And those things should be a given. I wish they were always so in the body of Christ. May God make it more so. But many of the decisions that we make aren't those things. They aren't the, hey, do this, don't do this. We, we make dozens and dozens of decisions every day based on truth, based on our understanding of wisdom. The book of Proverbs comes to meet us right there, to, to not give us promises so much, though there are some promises in Proverbs, but it's not really a book of promises. It's a book of, of wisdom, the kind of wisdom that would just wash over you and shape your thinking so that as you face those places of making decisions, you would make wise decisions. You would be able to say, that was a good decision. Boy, you handled that well. And I don't know if that appeals to you, but I'm just going to be honest with you. I long for that. I long to be able to look back at the end of a day and think, boy, I, I, I think I handled that well. You know, I think I, you know, it's, it's not uncommon that sometimes I get to the end of the day and go, oh, I did not handle that well. You know, that was, Lord, forgive me, wash over that and grow me so I make a better choice than, than the one I've made. But God's word would do that in Proverbs specifically. And so we're in that section of Proverbs where the Proverbs are very random. Each proverb really stands alone in so many ways. And so we're going to just be all over the map, but that's kind of the point. But here's again my encouragement. I hope that it just washes over you. I hope that some of the wisdom just sheds light on your course. But I've been asking, and I'm asking it now right again. I hope one of them, just one of the verses, you'll be like, oh, that, that, that's really, <laughs> that is really helpful right now in this decision that I'm re- wrestling through. That's, I needed just light to shine on this to help me make a better decision or to make this next decision well. And so we're going to dive into that longing that God's truth would be that that helps us to see things the way that, that he would have us to see them, to see the things, the perspective that he has that is very different sometimes than the world has. Now, right off the bat, as we join into Proverbs 11, that's never maybe more clear than maybe the proverb that we just start with tonight. There in verse 22, page 7 on your booklet, if you're heading over there, uh, it just gives it to us this way. It says, this is a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. It's a funny proverb. I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I have this like sense of humor. It's like, that's just, that's just incredibly funny. But again, you just need to see it. So he says, here's this thing. So you take a ring of gold and you put it in a swine or a pig's snout. He says, that's exactly what. And so this one's a connecting word. It's not a contrasting one. He says, if you could see that, then you can see this. That's a lovely woman who lacks discretion. Now, I want you to just walk around this just for a moment. I think you probably understand, but let's just begin and understand a pig is not a pretty animal. I mean, I, don't, I know someone's going to argue with me, like, I mean, I love my pig, Pastor Jim. You don't understand, I love my pig. And Okay, well, maybe when they're small, but they're not. I mean, just from a Jewish culture, for just certain, the, the pigs were unclean animals. They were not to be, I mean, just to be a, to touch one was that way, and, and they're kind of ugly. And then on top of it, they eat, you know, pig slop. I mean, they eat everything that nobody else eats. And so it is this kind of thing of the most disgusting kind of thing that you could imagine. And so he gives us this picture, and I think you understand it, nobody puts a ring of gold 
on a pig's snout, like nobody. I mean, that's not, that's not a thing that they did in those days. It's meant to be ludicrous. It's meant to be like, who would do that? Who would spend money on gold and put it on a pig because it doesn't help it at all? I mean, there's not any sense that you look there and go, well, that just changed things a little bit. That just totally transformed the pig. It's like, no, it's still a pig. It's still a pig. You know, it's just, that didn't help it at all. I mean, in fact, it's just a waste of your investment into that. And that's a little bit of the point, that he's inviting us to see this. And so he's challenging us with something that, again, could not be more countercultural in its understanding. You know, we live in a day where beauty you know, is advertisements for almost anything and everything. And, and in so many ways, people live their lives so much in our culture driven by trying to look good and be pretty or be handsome. And here this proverb comes in and says, you know, who you are is more important than how you look. That, that who you are, your character is more important to your person, your beauty, than, than your out, the outward trimming. So much so that if you have somebody who has an ugly character, I mean, they, they're living a bad life and, and an ungodly life. He says, you know, if you have this woman who does this, this woman who lacks discretion, he says, you know, the, be- the, the, the beauty doesn't change anything. It's as if you're looking at you know, a pig with a, a, a ring of gold in its, mouth, in its nose, and there is something here just to say, wow. I mean, that's just, that's a very different way of seeing things. That's a very different way in judging and valuing things, but it's certainly what the Bible calls us to. Think about how Peter would give it to us. He says it this way, speaking to women specifically. He says, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing of gold, putting on fine apparel, Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Don't misunderstand what's being said here. He's not insulting. He's not saying it's wrong for you to do your hair or to be concerned about the clothes that you wear. That's fine. He says, don't let it be merely that. Don't let that be the main focus in your life. When you think about this desire for you know, who you are and, and how you appear, Make that your character. Make that your character. That's, that's important for all of us, men and women, by the way, because it's a focus there. But women, in some ways, because they're, they, God has wired them this way, in a good way. But sin has taken this godly desire that would cause you to want to be beautiful, and he's made it, the, the sin has made it all external. Where daily, for, for most women, and I'm not being, you know, trying to be facetious or harsh, but, you know, they're just very concerned about your appearance. And he says, okay, don't let that be the main thing. Let it be the person of your heart. Try to be, be, a be-, be beautiful on the inside. Have this beautiful place where you have this incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. That's what God's really doing. And when that's there, the outward beauty, it is that which kind of just kind of augments or comes alongside as, as, a, as a good thing. But it's a, a whole way of changing things in an entirely different way. And I'm just going to tell you right here, if even just this one proverb could permeate the way that you think, it would change some things. Because the sad reality is that for so many, even in the church, we, we adopt the same kind of philosophies of the world. And so find ourselves more concerned with external beauty than internal. And God is saying, you know, who you are on the inside, the person of character that you are, that is so much more, more important that you have that because if you only do the outside, it, it doesn't help at all in God's eyes. And it changes things in a radical way. So he calls us to see that entirely differently. 
Well, turn the page with me, join in, in page eight there, verse 23, and he continues this place of showing us how he sees things. He says, the desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. So again, we begin by noting that which is a good thing. So the good thing is the desire of the righteous. That when the person who is righteous has a desire. Now, we've talked about this over and over in Proverbs, but I just quickly pause to say it again. Righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is to be right with God. That's the biblical definition. For us, we understand that that righteousness only comes in Christ, that Christ has been revealed to us to be the righteousness of God in Christ, that we are made right with God through Jesus. And so that's the only way we can be made right. Yet there is a practical outflow of that, and certainly that's partly what's in view here in the book of Proverbs, is this person who's seeking to live their life pleasing to God, seeking to be right with God. He says, for that person who's seeking to be right with God, that begins in this relationship with Christ and continues in that, he says, when you desire, when the, the things that you desire, he says, those will be good things. Because of the righteousness you have, it's going to kind of flow out that way. But then he says, the expectation of the wicked is wrath. So a couple quick things. I didn't put the little connector there by the butt this time, and I talked about it a little bit more last time, so I just quickly hit it. One of the great things about the New King James Version, specifically some of the other Bibles as well, is that the Hebrew that was given to us is translated into English, and so very often they would add words to fill out the sentence to make it a good English sentence, but it's not in the Hebrew. Whenever they do that, they put it in italics. So you would look here and say, you know, the desire of the righteous, only good. The word is is in italics. It's not there. It's not really a full sentence. It's just the desire of the righteous, good. And then there's no but there, so it's the expectation of the wicked, wrath. So to kind of take, whenever you see those, just kind of, you know, it's, it's helpful to kind of complete the sentence, but take it out. So we do that here, and now we have this contrast. Now, it's probably clear enough, but I'll just kind of just quickly remind you, you're looking at a rhyming of words, and so kind of the thing is to try to compare them, to try to say, so we just contrasted two things, but they are not exact opposites. In fact, we kind of looked at it a little bit differently. So we have the desire of the righteous contrasted with the expectation of the wicked. Those are actually two different things. So what you desire and what you expect are now being contrasted. So he says, okay, so for the righteous, what they desire will be good. And we could say, okay, what they expect then would be good. You know, that it would flow out of that. But for the wicked, you know, he says theirs is this other thing at all. They, they're, they're, their expectation. Sometimes, honestly, people expect to do wrong and get good. I mean, that's just the way it works, but he says, no, their expectation is wrath. It's this contrast where, you know, that we're looking at the the beginning and the end in some ways, that the, the thing that would flow out of a righteous heart is I want good, but the expectation of the person who rejects that is it's not gonna go well for them. It would be wrath. It'll be a place that would come into a way that would say that that's gonna go in an entirely different way and calling us in that sense again to say, okay, well, I want this place that, out of being right with God, I want to want good things. I want him to give me those desires for that, and he calls us to live that way. Well, verse 24 continues and kind of changes. In fact, the next three uh, Proverbs really focus on generosity and in this place where God calls us to generosity. He says, there is one who scatters yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. 
So the positive one is this person who scatters, and the idea is just kind of sharing and, and, and being generous with the things they have and the things that are there. Are we talking here just about you know, giving to, to the church? Certainly that would be included in, 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 our, in our tithing and giving, but this is bigger than that. It has the idea of being a generous person, of just be, you know, sharing, being someone who, who looks at it. says, here's this one who scatters, who's giving away things that they have, and yet the funny thing is that it actually goes well for them. They actually increase. They actually are blessed. On the other hand, you know, we, we, we think about that. He says, in the other end, there's, there's one who withholds more than is right, like a stingy and holding back and not sharing. He says it actually leads to poverty. I mean, to kind of become this person that, you know, you're just taking care of yourself, it actually does the opposite thing. And again, this is kind of important because maybe this is already a part of your life. Maybe you've already figured out that God does not intend you to be a selfish, self-centered person. But our world so often pursues this. And so it's very common that in our world, some people are like, I take care of me. That's what I do. I don't worry about anybody else. I mean, they have other people that do that. You know, it's like, I don't even have enough for me. I don't have enough time, energy, money, whatever to share with anybody else. I need to, you know, take care of myself. And the Bible would tell us that's, a, that's an ungodly life. That's a life that would be to live that kind of philosophy. And not only is it ungodly, it doesn't work. Instead of actually, you know, protecting yourself and keeping everything to yourself, you actually lose. In fact, he'll say the same thing in a different way in verse 25. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. So here you have this soul, this person who is generous and kind. He says, you know, that actually flows back to them that they, they, they get their reward, you know, both probably God's blessing, but even just the joy of, of being a part of other lives. And he says, here's this person who waters, who, who shares, who maybe even in the idea of what Jesus would say, would say, give them a cup of cold water in my name. You know, that it, it comes back. It comes back. He says, that person will also be watered. And there is that sense where he is just calling us, you know, to, to be a people who aren't living this self-centered life. It's only about me. I don't care about anybody else. I'm not paying attention to anybody else. And, and he's just calling us to live a life that we care, that we share. And, and, and that sometimes that's money. Sometimes that's time. Sometimes that's heart. I mean, it's that kind of place where we just long to be a part of that. You know, I found myself thinking about it, and so he's not in here, so I can even just say that, but it was in part of the progress. I was thinking about this even with, with, with Billy, and, and so we were talking in staff. I think we had a, a prayer time today, and he was telling us this story of just being there at Walmart and just, you know, kind of walked by the, road, the, the, the aisle and just heard somebody crying, and he actually went by and then's like, uh, I gotta go back. <laughs> he's like, I just, I can't just, you know, I can't do this. Turns around, sees this man just weeping there at Walmart, and he goes up to him, starts talking to him, finds out his wife has just passed, and, you know, it's just this interesting story that I found myself thinking, I'm thinking, for most of us, here's how this works. We hear that, and we're like, I don't have time. I barely have enough time to get done anything today. You know, I don't have time to share with anybody else. I don't have time to give, to, I, I, I am taking care of me today. It's a me day. And I love this law. It says, hey, be generous. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your heart. Be generous with your life. And, and not only is that the right thing to do, it's the life that brings blessing. 
And, and God will reward that, and He calls us to that. And again, hopefully that's a part of who you are, that you're already kind of figuring out that God doesn't want us to live this self-centered, selfish life, but He's calling us to move away from it. Well, kind of similar to it, but adding another dimension to it, verse 26 on the next page, He gives it to us this way. The people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessing will be upon the head of him who sells it. So he says, you know, people are going to curse this. They're going to be frustrated and, and, and speak evil of the person who withholds grain. But the contrast, the blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. So interesting. This one isn't actually about just being generous. It's about the person who is being faithful. He's not asking, you know, give away your grain. He's saying, you know, just sell it. Why wouldn't the person sell it? Why, if somebody has grain, would they not sell it? Maybe they're holding on to it to try to drive the price up. Maybe they're just being lazy. Maybe they're just not doing their job well. You know, there's a certain amount of this that he calls us to, hey, do what you do and sense to be a blessing to other people. You know, I think about how that would affect you. Again, we don't live in this time where for most of us you have, you know, grain or crops that you're dealing with, but you do have life. And, and for many of you, you work a job, you, you do those things, and God calls us to do what we do unto Him, even in that. And I don't know if you ever think about, hey, I want to do this and be a blessing to people. I do hope that they're blessed by what I do. I'm not going to be lazy in, in what I'm doing. I don't want people to, ha- I don't have a bad name where people think badly of me, like, oh, don't, don't ask Him. He'll, he never gets anything done. It's like, no, I, I want to be someone who's faithful. I want to be someone who, who doesn't withhold and, and isn't living this self-centered life, and it even flows into how I practically live my life so that it is a blessing uh, for other people, and he calls us to have that, okay? So definitely calling us to this generosity, this lack of selfishness. Then he goes on in verse 27, he who earnestly seeks good finds favor, but trouble comes to him who seeks evil. So he holds this place, and, and we kind of talked about it just a moment ago. Back in verse 23, we had this idea of, hey, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're a righteous person, you're going to seek what's good. And here he says, if you're earnestly doing that, if, you, if you're someone who's seeking good, you'll find it. You'll, you'll find favor. On the other side of it, trouble, but trouble comes. Again, that's kind of the, the outflow of it to him who seeks evil. So for the person who's seeking good, we'll often find it. And the person who's seeking evil, you will find it as well. It's kind of a simple, uh, just proverb, kind of the, you know, what you sow, you're going to reap, you know. Hey, if you're seeking it, guess what you'll find? You know, if you're, if you're looking for it, if you're, if you're looking for it, you will find it. And, and I want to tell you that's just true. I mean, there's a way in our lives where he says, okay, you should be someone who's seeking this. If, you, if you're earnestly seeking good, there's favor there. There's blessing there. There's a place that, that good comes in that, and he calls us to be a people that walk in that. Well, verse 28, next one. He who trusts in riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. So the negative is this person who lives their life trusting in their money. Big deal. I mean, it's a big deal for, all, for our whole world, certainly a big deal for us as Americans, being the affluent society we have. I mean, money becomes such a big problem. It's just if you trust in it, if you trust in it. It's a good place to quickly pause. Proverbs has a lot to say about money, as God does. It's not a bad thing, and sometimes he's going to call us to be faithful and how God blesses in those things, but the certain call that he over and over says is we never trust in it. We enjoy it. We don't trust it. 
We can, we, can, we can receive it, but it never becomes just the basis of our life. But he says, you trust in those riches. If you make money the thing that you trust in, it's going to fall. It's going to fail you, and it's going to disappoint. On the other hand, the contrast is the righteous. They will flourish like foliage. Wow. So this is kind of a fun one. Again, we don't have time to develop it deeply, but just try to catch the contrast. Did you see it? What's, what's the difference between the person who trusts in money? What's, what's the contrast of the good one? The person who, who trusts in their money, you know, is, trusts in riches, is contrasted with the righteous. And it's kind of fun to me that he doesn't add anything else to that. He's like, okay, on one hand, you have this person who's living right with God. And on the other hand, you have someone who trusts in their money. And those are two very different lives. Those are two very different lives that are held in contrast. For the person who trusts in their riches, they're going to fall. But the righteous, boy, it'll be like they'll flourish. And he gives us this picture of a tree. And I think of how often God uses this image throughout the scriptures. I think about Psalm 1 as it kind of begins that place and just says, you know, if you, this person who is loving God and loving his ways and following his truth and just refusing the worldly ways, he says he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does will prosper. What an incredible picture. Again, I love the one in Jeremiah. I love other ones as well, but the picture is pretty simple. It's like, okay, if you're, if you're doing this, if you're trying to live a life that's right with God, it's, it's this place that you're like a tree that puts down roots and it's, and it's bearing fruit. It's not always instantaneous. It's not always you know, happening that quickly, but it just flows and, and there's an outflow that comes from our lives. There's a, a place that would be that. He says, that's what we want to be. And what's interesting, again, is it's pointing to the source. See, if money is what you trust in, and honestly, again, it may be. It may be something that for, uh, for sometimes because we have it and Jesus spoke, spoke of it, if that's what you trust in, it, it, instead of it being an overflowing source, it becomes a, a problem in your life to make that what you trust in. But if you're righteous, if you live your life trying to be right with God, guess what's gonna happen? Not only are you not going to fall, there's going to be this stability given to us like a tree, but it's going to flourish. It's going to flourish, you know, in, in the midst of all that's happening. And so he's calling us to this place of saying, boy, that's the life we want. We, we want to have this place where, you know, that if we're making choices and we're making things in the midst of it, that we choose that and we choose what that looks like. Wow. Well, he's going to give a couple more images that picture similar things, but you can turn the page. There he gives it to us this way. Verse 29. He who troubles his own house will inherit the wind, and a fool will be the servant to the, to, to the wise of heart. So you can probably get this, but he who troubles his own house. So this is imagining a family member, and it can be anything that you want. It can be a, a dad, it can be a mom, it can be a son, it can be a daughter who lives a foolish life. And you're the problem child. You're the one who is the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter. You're doing poorly. You're, you're, you're bringing in those things. He says, if that's what you do and you are the one that is troubling your own house, he says, you're going to inherit the wind. The idea of that is unattainable. It's kind of this image that's used throughout the Bible of you know, something that you, know, that you could never catch. And you guys probably understand it, right? If I sent you outside right now and said, hey, go catch the wind. It'd be like, 
you can't catch that. Or go chase a rainbow. It's like, well, you'll never get the pot of gold. There is nothing there. It's you inherit emptiness. You inherit, you know, if this is the life you live, the, the mess that you bring into the world, it brings this mess back into your life. And he says that one, and it is kind of the idea that that person who is that, who is that fool, he says it will be the servant to the wise in heart. So it is this picture of looking at this family member who is, you know, just living poorly, who is a trouble to their own house. Not only is it, you know, they're inheriting what they're getting, if you will, from their family. It's not just talking like, you know, inheritance when you die, though that's probably a part of it. But what you're getting from your family, it's not going well. And instead, that person who's doing so badly so often, instead of being this esteemed family member, becomes the one who is, you know, this servant to the wise in heart. And it's just a simple thing. There's probably so many layers to it. But I I think I could simply say, you don't want to be this person. You don't want to be this person. You don't want to be the person that right now anybody is thinking about, oh, that's you. You You are the trouble in our home. You are the one that... You know, maybe the alcoholic father who, you know, you know spends all the money and, and brings in pain into the house. And it's like, you trouble the house. And, and you're inheriting the wind. And there's no honor there. You don't want to be that person who not only is living poorly for yourself, but is bringing problems into your family. And he's just saying, don't do that. Like, if you could see that, you see where it's going, you see what you're going to get. And it's not the life that you want to live. It's a foolish way to live. So he turns us from that. Verse 30 goes back to this idea of a tree, and he gives it to us this way. The fruit of a righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. So we're already talking about this idea of the righteous being this one who's like a tree and and the stability and flourishing and leaves that are a part of it. But now he just begins to talk about the fruit, that this person who's right with God and living this life who's right with God, they become like this fruit-bearing tree. And he says it's a tree of life. Now, I I think this is kind of easy to understand, but I just want to make sure you think it through. I love the image that God uses for fruit. He uses it all the way through the Bible. He uses it even in, you know, we get into Galatians. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. But I just want to make sure you think about it for a moment. Fruit is not for the tree. It's for others. That's what a fruit tree does. A, a fruit, by its very nature, is a blessing. A, a fruit, by its very nature, is to give it away. I mean, there's not, like an apple tree, it's like, no, I need it. You can't have it. Like, it's mine. Like, no, I bear this for you. And he says, if you're this person who's living right, then, then you're this fruit of the righteous tree. It's like this tree of life. It, it's as if, you know, you are a blessing to others and you become one that is, that is this life-giving tree of life that is for others. And as he gives us to that and he thinks about our lives being a blessing, he then adds to it and says, and he who wins souls. Who, the he who wins souls, that's really wisdom. So here's this idea that, that we want to have lives that are a blessing. We, we want to be a people that we do good, and, and we're kind, and, and, we're not, and, and that, that flows into other people's lives, but it takes us to the highest aim, or the ultimate part, that the best good we want to do is to see people saved. I mean, there's not anything, I mean, if we just, you know, fed people, or were kind to them, or helped them carry in their groceries, or whatever it was, those would be nice things, but boy, really being a fruit-bearing tree, being one who is that, is like, okay, I want to be one who 
who's, who's affecting other people for Jesus, who's winning souls, who's, who's being that person that, you know, that is a part of that and, and seeing people rescued and, and seeing people drawn. He says, that is really wise living. That's really a, a way of doing that. You know, it's one of those quick things. I just quickly toss it out. May God grow this in all of us. You know, it seems to be that, you know, that the era that we live in, that, you know, statistics are telling us that it's worse now than it's probably been in any kind of recorded history. That for for many Christians, this is going the wrong way. That some because of the weird political climate we live in, some because of the weird, you know, things happening within our world, that it's kind of shutting some Christians down from sharing the gospel. And he's simply telling us, hey, you want to be a blessing, but you want to be winning souls. You want to be someone who's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, who's, who's not just known as a nice person at your work or a good neighbor or any of those things, though those should hopefully be a part of it. But it's like really winning wisdom is winning souls. And if I can just challenge you again, that's making good choices. That's the idea of wisdom. That's, okay, I want to think this thing through. I want to live in such a way that my life is... is kind of advertising Christ, that people are seeing him through that, and he's calling us to have that type of wisdom, that we live that way and walk that way. May God make it more so. May we be a people that, as we make choices, we choose that in a way that would be the way that we live. Okay, next one, verse 31. If the righteous will be recompensed on the earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner? So he says, here's the thing, if the righteous, the person who's doing that right thing, you know, gets rewards even here on this planet, how much more so, you know, will it be for that person who is an ungodly and a sinner? So again, just some of what we've been talking about. Hey, if you're living right, there's blessings. If you're living wrong, there's cursing. And he says, okay, we're not even just talking about heaven and hell at this moment, though let's just be clear. That's really the important deal. I mean, if you're right with God, there's heaven. I mean, that's what Jesus brings us into, the righteousness of God in Christ and the person who is living wrongly. You know, hell is their future. But here he brings it even into just, even now, if you're trying to live a right life, there's there's blessing, there's stability, there's security. You become like this tree of life. It works this way also for the person who's making bad choices. They, they, they're, you know, already earning rewards on that. And he just calls us to say, hey, you know, that's not the life we want. I mean, both eternally, but even presently. And just says, you know, that's not the kind of things that we want to invest into. We don't want to live that life. So that ends Proverbs chapter 11 for us. Let's quickly tackle chapter 12. We'll probably just get a few of them there, but once more, just kind of continuing these random Proverbs, but each one meant to just wash over you. So you can drop that booklet, grab the other one, go over to page one there, you get Proverbs 12, and it just kind of continues giving us nuggets that are meant to shape the way that we think so that our lives are impacted by God's wisdom. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. Now, God can say that, okay? I just want to say that God, God can say that. But I just want you to make sure that, that you kind of track it through with me for a moment. So if you love instruction, like you are loving being open to learning and growing and growing and the things that God has for you, he says that then you love knowledge. You, you love what's there. You love receiving that. But the contrast is if you hate correction, you hate anybody, bringing correction into your life and in any way correcting you in any way says that really is that's stupid 
That, that's, a, that's a life that's a foolish, dumb way to live. Again, we need to hear it because you live in such days that such things are very common. You probably know somebody right now. I hope it's not you, by the way, that fits this category. They're the person that you can't talk to them about anything. They know everything. I, no, I, I already know. I, don't tell me. I'm already there. You know, they, they, they already feel like they know everything. They already feel like they, that they you know, don't t- I, I don't need to know. You know. I'm fully versed in all that stuff. And they, and they totally will not receive correction. Like, well, actually, that's wrong. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Don't tell me that. You know, like, I, I don't want to receive that. And they find themselves in this arrogant place of being kind of, you know, self-centered, self, you know, just, I know everything. I don't need any kind of correction. He says, that's a terrible way to live. So much better for you to come and say, boy, I, there's a lot I don't know. I, I, want to, I want to grow. I want to grow in knowledge. I want to grow in understanding. I recognize in myself need. I, I hope that's true. I hope that's one of the things that drew you into this place this evening, that you would say, I need that. I need to grow. I, there's things I don't know. There's, I want to continue to say, that's a good space. But maybe one of the most challenging spaces is how you respond when you're corrected. Some have said that how you respond to that will determine, in many ways, the true nature of wisdom in your life. The kind of, the kind of place when you're found to be wrong, when you realize, you know what, my, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. God does this, by the way. He tells us in Hebrews that you know, he chastens all of his children. He corrects all of his children. So he is always trying to kind of, like, that's not good. Like, that's a bad thing. <laughs> like, I don't like that. That's not a good, that's not what I have for you. And and if you can respond to that and be, okay, I needed that. I need that. I don't know about you, but I'll tell you from my perspective, I know I need that. I want to be someone that, you know, isn't like loving that, like looking for it, but I want to be one who receives it. The kind of person say, okay, God, I'm wrong. Like, I, I'm wrong. And, and I want to be, because I want to grow. I want to grow in your ways. And I don't want to be arrogant. I want to come into a place where I would receive knowledge and I'd receive correction. And, and there's no other way to kind of move in this course. And yet again, I know that you guys know this. We live in a world that is so not this way. Uh, that, that really are, for so many people, they, you know, feel like they know everything, and, and they'll, you know, be glad to, you know, talk about anything, and just everything, and just, boy, just calling us away from that, and obviously, again, wanting true wisdom, wanting God's wisdom, that He would grow us in that, but at least dealing with this place of, of loving knowledge, and not hating correction, and again, those contrasts are just held together. It's like, I should love wanting to learn, and I shouldn't hate it when I'm corrected. I, I, I shouldn't, you know, totally irritate me, because I want to be one who grows in His ways. So he calls us to that and kind of continues it there in verse 2. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of wicked intentions he will condemn. So the positive this time is the good man. This one who's doing, you know, what God has and, and, and walking in those things. But here it is, one of those Proverbs that draws us to God. We're not just talking about the benefit that comes from it or the good that it does in other people's lives. It says, that, that'll have God's favor. God will smile on that, that if you are one who would say, God, I want to be good, I want to do good, you know, even if the world doesn't like it and people don't like it, God will, but, he says, a man of wicked intentions who's trying to do wrong or thinking badly, he says he'll condemn, I mean, that's how he sees it, and he invites us to see, you know, obviously from that perspective that God is responding to that which is good and evil and calling us 
away from living a life that way, not just because of its impact or not just because of what we gain from it, but because it's pleasing to God, and and He would long for that in our lives. May it be so. Verse 3, a man is not established by wickedness, but the root of righteousness cannot be moved. So we've had this image of a tree kind of working through some of these Proverbs. It's certainly found here. And he says, so here's this man who is not established. And so we begin with the result. You know, like this is not going to work. This is not going to be firm. This is not going to be strong because wickedness doesn't do that. Wickedness doesn't bring someone to a solid life. It doesn't bring us into that. But the contrast, the other side of it, is the root of the righteous. So again, you kind of have this image of a tree. So this person is right. They're like this tree that puts down its roots in, you know, by the river. And he says, this root of the righteous, it's unshakable. It's immovable. You can't, you can't have that. And, and what an incredible thought that is so much there. You know, there's that passage in, in Hebrews that talks about things being shaken so that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. I don't know where you find yourself living in these days. Sometimes I find myself thinking that we are in those days and maybe it's going to grow more. That is if the world is shaking, uh, everything's shaking, politically, you know, morally. I mean, things are shaking. And, and the question so often means like, how, are we, how do we last? How do we make it through that? And he says, if you're living a wicked life, it's, you, you, you will be shaken and you will be shaken loose. But if you're right, This root of the righteous, it's this place like a tree that cannot be shaken. It cannot be taken down. It cannot be moved. And and he calls us to to live that way, that he calls us in that sense to to walk in all that that would be. And and in that sense, to find ourselves living a life that is an entirely different life, one that is made stable by God and and, and working in, in all the things that he has. You know, I find myself thinking about where we are, and I think that's probably a good space for us to, to kind of begin to pull it to a close this evening as we've kind of walked through this and maybe a good, good, good proverb to kind of end on at this moment because, again, I just want to come back to it and, and just tell us, boy, he's inviting us to a way of doing life, and a way of, of just living and, and walking. There are things that are just absolutely right and wrong. But then there are ways that he's just saying, hey, just to shape the way that you do your life. I hope that many of the things we've talked about this evening only come across and land and say, like, that's, that's kind of how I try to do my life. I try to be generous. I try to do what's, what's pleasing in God's eyes and recognizing it's not just about me and, and however that works and seeking to walk in the midst of it. But maybe, again, some of it, he's just inviting us to see this very different perspective. And I am just so drawn, of course, you know, to this image of a tree. I mean, obviously, some of you know it's part of our logo and, uh, you know, in the whole thing, because I just love this picture of what God longs for that we would be like a tree that is planted by the waters, who, whose roots go down into God and Him. And He says, if you'll do that, then, then your leaf won't wither. I mean, you'll, you'll be able to be green. Your leaf will be green, He says there in Jeremiah. And He says, hey, that would be there. And whatever you do, you'd prosper. That there would be a sense of, of, of strength that would happen in that, and our fruit would not in any way move away from it. And it becomes this beautiful picture of the life that God has for you. And I want you just to think about it for a moment. I'm longing that through some of what we've talked about this evening, it would draw you to that life. And I need to begin by saying, maybe you're here this evening, or maybe you're watching online, and this is entirely not you. 
Because the idea of being right with God only happens through Jesus, and there is no other way. And so you could be here this evening, you might be watching online, and, and that's entirely outside of where you are. Please hear me clearly. Just trying to be a nice person and be, do good things, that's not going to save you. That's not going to fix that. You know, there is, there's no way this person who's not right with God, who has this wicked life, will ever be established. But that's why God sent Christ, so that the righteousness of God is revealed in Christ so that he came that through him we could have life, and we just invite you to that. We invite you into a place that could take you and transform you to be like this tree that's just firmly planted and and rescued in this fallen world, and something that's absolutely beautiful in in the midst of that, and we long that God would bring you to him. That's you this evening. Boy, we just want to talk to you more. Reach out to us if you're online. If you're here, come up and talk to us. We'd love to make that be just a part of what happens in your life. That said, I know for many of you, you are his. But the reality is, again, this clear. Our world is trying to form you into its image. I love the way Paul gives it to us in Romans chapter 12, where he calls us in the verse 1, just because of what Christ is to us. We are, are meant to be living our lives as a living sacrifice, pleasing to him. Like we want to be that person that it just talked about, that God would look upon us and be that. And then he just tells us that, You know, we are in this world that is seeking to conform us into its image. And it's such a powerful picture that the the Greek word that's used there has the idea of pressed or pressed, that the world around you is trying to shape you into the image that that it is, that, that all that we are would be, you know, kind of there. And here's the deal. Probably some of that's happened. Sometimes it happens that foolishly or almost ignorantly, we find ourselves being shaped by the values in the, in, in the world, and we're like, well, that's just the way you live. That's, that's just life. You just, you do life that way. But he goes on there in Romans 12 and says, but if we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind, if we would let God change us on the inside, we'd be able to prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so some of that's supposed to be happening tonight where, you know, maybe you might recognize, you know what, I, I didn't even realize how much that had changed the way I view things. Uh, that maybe I, I have become someone that is more this way. And again, we talked about a bunch of nuggets and so hopefully one of them's there. But I'm wondering if one of them would be that place where you would just kind of say, boy, I've, I, the world is trying to press in my life here right now. I can feel it. I can feel it trying to shape how I am, how I handle my life, how I handle my time, how I view things, how I, you know, you know, how I see, you know, things around me, maybe how I see money or how I see beauty or any of those things, and just would long that tonight that you would kind of bring that to God and say, God, tra- take your truth and transform me, you know, change me so that I could be this tree, and I love this image of a tree, this, this tree that puts down its roots, that is just abiding in God, in Christ, whose leaf doesn't wither and whose, 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 whose just fruit is, is continuing to, to, to just abound. And the beautiful thing about a tree is, is it's not necessarily something that's always instantaneous. It's not like this idea of like, okay, well, yeah, do this now and boom, tomorrow. You know, it's like, no, but put your roots down and, and allow yourself to grow and, and, and grow in his ways and, and things will be changing your life will be changing and you'll become someone who's a blessing to others and hopefully is a blessing that's bringing other people to Jesus and longing to have such a life. But I'm hoping that tonight God would just draw you into that. 
So let's take a moment, just pray for that right now, and just ask that God would work in us the things that we so desperately need him to work. So would you join me in praying for that? Father, thank you for your word, and even just these proverbs that cause our brains to jump from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, and yet truths that are meant to shape the way that we think. God, I thank you for many that would look upon some of these and say, God has taught me that, and God has taught me that. But God, we are still needing to grow, and I want to be that person that loves knowledge, that, that wants to grow more in your ways and receives correction. So Lord, right now where we are wrong, being shaped by our world, where this world is pressing us into its mold, where we're being conformed to this world. Would you just shine your light on that by your truth, and would you transform us? Would you take your word and just transform us from the inside out so that our lives would be pleasing to you, that we'd have that which is good and acceptable and perfect, the will of God? God, would you teach us and help us, Lord, to, to be changed and to be transformed so that we could become, boy, I think about how often we just touched it tonight, that picture of this tree who is stable, whose, whose roots are firm, that isn't being shaken when everything else is shaken, whose leaves are green, who's being fruitful, who's a blessing to other people's not moving into the self-centered, selfish life that's just focused on me. But God, ultimately, just drawing people to you. I pray that for our lives, and then I pray that for any here, that that's where they are. You said, he who wins souls is wise. I think about how you'd speak it to Daniel, that, that, that those who win souls, they're, they're like a star that shines in the firmament. God, would you make us such people? Those who could, just our lives would help people navigate by and navigate to you and be changed and transformed, and Lord, would you cause that to be our lives and how we live. God, we ask for that. We ask for that for these here this evening, and just submit all that this is now to you, asking that you would grow us in your ways and that your truth would really transform us. We ask for that now, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May God make us those who grow in this, walk in all the things he has for us. So guys, why don't you stand? We're going to close in worship, just asking God to draw us into everything that he has for us. I 